0: A, B, B, C of salvation. A. Admit. B. Believe. C. Confess. Admit that one is a lost, guilty, condemned, helpless sinner. That's A. Admit. Remember it's not our wickedness, as the Bible says, is our filthy rags. It's our righteousness. There is something to be done before breaking off our sins. And that's to repent of our righteousness, our self-righteousness. So, A, admit that we are fallen, helpless, guilty, condemned, dying sinners. Let me help you and help me in that. next five minutes, if you have a sensitive conscience, will be agony. After that, we'll apply the ointment. We've all been in a dark room when we see a beam of light come through a shutter. And immediately we are aware of that which we had not known before. In the beam of light coming through the shutter in the dark room, we see 10,000 moats, 10,000 specks of dust in that little beam of light. And the room that before seemed so clean, so hygienic, suddenly we're aware it's full of dust. Doesn't matter how scrupulous a housewife you are, this is true. My friends, that's what happens to the room of the heart when the light of the law of God is shone upon it. If you preach too much the law, people go out the door. If you preach too much believe, people do as they please. But we must preach the law, in order for people to find saving belief. And when they get the two and right focus, we will have what the New Testament talks about at the beginning and the end of the book of faith. At the beginning and the end of the book of Romans, the first chapter and the last, it talks about the obedience of faith, not the faith of obedience. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. So, ABC of salvation, admit. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 96, and I quote the New English Bible, thy law is infinite. The King James Version says, your commandments are exceeding broad. Exceeding broad. Let me illustrate. It was a law in Israel that if you saw a neighbour's ox or ass going astray, you didn't just say, poor old Isaac, he's lost his ox. You were guilty unless you got that ox and restored it to the owner. Now, if I am guilty, if I do not help my neighbour when his ox or ass goes astray, How guilty am I if I let him go astray? Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Don't be like the ape in the zoo who asks, am I my keeper's brother? That's not the issue. Am I my brother's keeper? That's the issue. And the answer is horrible. The answer is one I don't want to hear. The answer is yes. The hardest commandment I know in the Bible, next to the obvious one about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, your neighbour yourself, the hardest commandment I know in the Bible is this one. Thou shalt not suffer sin upon thy neighbour, but shall by all means rebuke him. I don't like that. But if I'm responsible for a straying ass or ox, how much more if my brother strays? And who is my brother? Every man. Who was my sister? Every woman. And then, when I look at the law more closely, it says in one place that I'm to worship God with a single eye. In other words, the whole untrammeled, undivided heart. That's not possible. Everything we do, we do with mixed motives, whether it's preaching or praying or giving. Everything we do is with mixed motives. We've never done anything with a single eye in our life. And then as Augustine said, there's an element of sin in the choice of any lesser good. This is a toughie. What? Am I to take literally the statement in First Corinthians 10 that I'm to bring every thought into captivity? That every thought, the imagination? Must be as good as Adam could have done before the fall. I'm shot down, I'm in pieces. I'm in tatters as I consider the breadth of the law of God. But God is helping me to admit, you see. He can't save me till I admit. And so the law is the surgeon's knife that cuts in order to heal. It's the fisherman's net that brings the fish to the fisherman. It's the thunder in the sky that sends me racing to the shadow of the great rock. It's the shepherd's black dog that brings the sheep to the shepherd. But one thing the law can't do, it can't save. Another thing the law can't do, it can't forgive. So the law convicts, condemns, but it doesn't pardon and it doesn't save. And the Bible is opposed to anyone bringing forward their righteousness that's in harmony apparently with the law to buy a seat above. The righteous of the law is condemned. Galatians 3.10 says whoever relies on the law is under a curse. Let me apply the law still more piercingly. There is infinite guilt in every split second that I delay my yes to God and play with an invitation from the devil. Now think of what I've said. We are all tempted a thousand times a day towards some lesser good. may not be an outrageous thing, that would hurt our pride. We've got to be goody-goodies, so we wouldn't do the outrageous. But our temptations are to the lesser good. And we like a lot of them. They appeal to us. Life is tough. Can't I have some recreation? I've got to have some enjoyment. What are my appetites for? You gave them to me, God. But there is an element of sin in the choice of every lesser good and every momentary delay in saying yes to the Spirit of God is an infinite sin. I'm not playing with a worm. I'm playing with my maker. I'm playing with my creator. So you think of the tussles that we all endure as we make our choices. A split second delay in saying yes to God is an infinite sin. And then there's this horrible awareness that the Bible thrusts upon me every moment that I don't own anything. I don't own Des Ford. The use I make of my talents, my opportunities, time, every moment is freighted with eternal consequences which doesn't mean that every moment must be spent in religion, but every moment must be spent as God would have it spent because righteousness is attending absolutely to the absolute and relatively to the relative. And sin is when I reverse it and I attend relatively to the absolute and absolutely to the relative. When I give anything more importance than it should have. How demanding the law is, this business of stewardship. Why? The use I make of every cent shows whether I love God supremely and my neighbour is myself. That's a devastating thought. The truth, of course, is because we are fallen, because we are born in sin, because we are born without the Holy Spirit, because the curse of Adam's sin is upon us from the beginning, we cannot perfectly obey a holy law. Not even after conversion. Because every converted person is two people. If I could use an illustration. Here's the ship. The master of the ship, the captain, has defied the owner uses a ship as though it was his own, bosses around the crew, goes where he likes, takes all the profits. That's a picture of the sinner. What happens at conversion? Is the captain killed? No, no, no. Another captain comes on board. The other captain's in the hold. It's written that he's condemned, but he's not going to be gotten rid of until the vessel pulls into port. So, what happens when I'm converted? I'm the same ship. And the old nature, the old captain, he's still on board. And the crew, my faculties, my members, are used to obeying him. And so although I now know as a ship that the old captains condemned, my old nature is under sentence of death. Occasionally he tricks me into doing things I used to do that I, I suspect are wrong and I rebel against the new captain. But it doesn't change the direction of the ship. The new captain's got the helm. Even the old captain could see the ship's papers. He wouldn't know how to read them. The carnal mind cannot understand the things of the spirit. So even after conversion, because I still have an old nature, never for one day do I fully full the law of God. It's when I see this And I realized the Lord didn't come for the righteous, but he came for those that are lost, for the sinners. He didn't come for the whole, he came for those that are sick. Of course, there's nobody that's whole, and there's nobody that's righteous, but there are lots of people that think they're righteous, and lots of people that think they're whole. With this little background about the A of ABC, admit... Let's turn to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. We have summed up the ABC of salvation as admit that we are lost, guilty, dying, helpless, condemned sinners. That's A. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means believe in your heart, not just with your head. The devil believes in the head. But it means believe with all your heart, all your trust, all your hope. Believe with all there is of you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, confess him. Confess him before men and women with the mouth, with the life, with everything one does. Confess him. There is another way of summing up the ABC of salvation but not using the same letters. Admit. Submit. You'll notice that in this passage, in the beginning of chapter 10, it says that the lost ones would not submit themselves. Would not submit. You can't be proud and go into the kingdom. Impossible. When we look at the law, we are so cut down to size, we don't happen to open a door into the kingdom. We go out underneath it. We're so small. Admit, submit. Then comment. Comment. Admit everything to him. All your worries, all your fears, all your hopes, all your ambitions, all your complaints, hand them over. They're too big for us. Then transmit. The person who feasts alone doesn't feast. Being a missionary is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Admit. Submit. To Christ. Commit All you got to him. Transmit. Pass it on. Pass it on. Now let's look please at chapter 10 of Romans. Roy, where do I put this thing on here, right? Roy knows how to work all these gadgets. I don't. Please look at the wording of the first verses of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Thanks, Roy. To everyone that believes. For Moses describes the righteousness which is the law that the man that doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Please note there are two types of righteousness. One is a righteousness of the law and one is a righteousness of faith. Please see that in verses 5 and 6. The righteousness of the law is our good deeds. The righteousness of the law is that which springs from our best efforts. It's our religiosity. It's our church going, it's our Sabbath keeping, it's our health reform, it's our tithe paying, it's our missionary endeavour, it's our singing of hymns. That's all the righteousness of the law and it's all wonderful but it won't get us into heaven because it's never good enough. Never good enough. If we were going to get in by the righteousness of the law, our obedience would have to be flawless always, willing always, a lot of things I do aren't willing at all. I do them because they're right, not because I want to do them. Fervent. Fervent. Not reluctant. I say, well, Lord, if you want it, I guess. That's not it. Fervent. Fervent. Consistent. Morning, noon and night, when I'm sick and when I'm well. When I'm down and when I'm up. When I've just been hit hard by circumstances and when I'm riding on the crest of the wave. If I want a righteousness of the law that's going to get me in the kingdom, it has to be like that. flawless, willing, fervent, consistent, total. From my first breath. From the first time when my mother said, what a little angel. She didn't know she had the wrong name. She didn't know. She learned it in later years. So there's a righteousness of the law which comprehends many good things but it cannot save us because it's not good enough. And then there's a righteousness which is of faith. The book of Romans is about that. Please look. I mentioned this last week but it's so important I want you to see it again. Faith occurs 64 times in Romans. It's the book about faith. And remember faith means trust, not just mental yes. Trust relying on him for yesterday, for the day, for tomorrow, for my spirit, my body, my mind, my children, my ambitions, my wealth, my health. Trusting him, trusting him. Begins in trust for eternal life, but it goes on into trust for everything. So face the big word. Justification, please note that in the Greek it's the same word Justification, righteousness is the same word. If you read any other Bible, in any other language, you don't have our English problem. We have these two translations of one word. So when you read in Romans about the righteousness which is of faith, a lot of people quarrel now, what's that? Is that justification, or is it justification by sanctification, or is it sanctification? If they knew something about the original, they'd never say that. Righteousness by faith always means justification. The 100% righteousness. The one that's outside of me. The one that's been accomplished. The one that's in Christ. The one that's put to my account. The one that's credited to me. That's the one that saves. Fortunately. The other righteousness is so tattered and deficient and defective and marred. Filthy rags, God calls it. Remember, not my wickedness, but my righteousness, he says, is filthy rags. That's pretty hard to swallow. I was proud of it. He says, filthy rags. Filthy rags. So please see the key terms. Faith, 64 times. Justification of righteousness, 50 times. Holy Spirit, 26 times. Holiness or sanctification, 4 times. Live, 15 times. There's one more word I should have put in this when I did it years ago. It's the word sin or "sin." Now please note what I say. The first five chapters of Romans which are about justification talk a lot about sins. They're all listed in chapter 1 and it damns all of us when you read the list in chapter 1. Chapter 3, in case you haven't read it well, it reminds us that all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. All have sinned, past tense, all come short, present, continuous. So the early chapters of Romans that are describing how to get right with God has much to say about S I N S and lists them. But then when it moves into the topic of how to be made right. See I'm declared right, that's a hundred percent. And it's done in a moment. There's life in a look. The penitent thief only had to say one sentence and he had it. He had it. Perfect righteousness. Paradise. Eternal life. So the righteousness is of faith, it's mine in a moment by a look of trust to Jesus. But having given me that because of his work for me, now he begins to work in me. He can't forgive the rebel and let the rebel still carry a gun. He can't declare the leper clean and let him die in his filth. So having declared me righteous, which is what justify means, he sets about making me righteous. And here's where most Christians are because they keep looking at the progress. And if they're honest, there's not a lot in their eyes. Other people see more than they do, but other people don't know their hearts. See? So justification depends on what he did for me, and it's perfect, 100% righteousness. It's mine by faith. Sanctification is what he does in me by the Holy Spirit. Now, the first one concerning it, Jesus said it's finished. The second one's never finished in this life. I live to be as old as Methuselah, The Holy Spirit and the angels still be wringing their hands saying, boy, we're having a lot of trouble with death. We've been trying for a thousand years. And look at him. Look at him. Sanctification's never complete in this life. It's completed in what we call glorification. When at the coming of Christ, every cell of body and mind is changed and all the impact of sin is gone. See, we're the product of everything we've ever seen, everything we've ever heard, everything we've ever read. Everything we've ever done, everything that's been done to us, we're the product. And we don't get rid of those scars until the second advent. And it's because of those scars, because sin brings incapacity as well as guilt, because I have squandered part of the talent given to me at birth by my years outside of Christ, I can never depend on my sanctification. The devil would direct our attention to navel-watching not the navy in the sea, the navy associated with birth. Looking at ourselves, how am I doing? Well, if you're honest, the answer is rotten. Rotten, Compare with what you should be doing. You know, the law can be summed up in one word, love. Love God wholly, love your neighbour as much as yourself. How do I stand on that? Not very well. What sort of a steward I am of moments, of money, of talents, of opportunity? Well, I try, but I have more failures than successes. In God's sight. Because even at my best, it's still not good enough, right? So, I would should have added to this list, sin or sins, because the point is, while sins are the topic of the first five chapters, the chapters that follow the deal with sanctification, except 9 and 10, all about S-I-N. My real, deep, enduring problem is not my transgressions before I was in Christ. My real, enduring problem is that sin is still in me. The old captain's still on board. He's been condemned, but he's still trying. He knows all the crew members. He's trying to get them, my faculties, my appetites, to rebel. See? So these chapters 6, 7, 8... These are about S-I-N, sin that dwelleth in me. That's the great problem. Right, there's an overall picture and you notice the big numbers belong to faith and righteousness. And those words are linked in the same verse about 13 times. You'll never find sanctification linked with faith. Doesn't it take faith to be sanctified? Yes. Well, why don't they link them? Because faith with justification is always faith alone. And you can't be sanctified by faith alone. The New Testament uses 27 verbs of effort. Sanctification takes effort. There's no such thing as an undisciplined, mature Christian. No such thing. It takes a lot of discipline to walk the path of sanctification. A lot of saying no to oneself. It takes a lot of effort. Paul says, I keep my body under. I batter it black and blue. As having preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Fight the good fight of faith. Run. Strive. So justification by faith alone. That's just taking a gift. And now I've got eternal life. Now he's made provision for my past, my present, my future. But as regards the battle inside, that's not by faith alone. So never in the New Testament join sanctification with faith in the same breath. It's important to see that. Right, let's um, look at one or two of these others. The book of Romans deals with the subject of imputed righteousness, the 100% righteousness, Christ righteousness in chapters 1 to 5 and then it moves into sanctification 6, 7 and 8, what he does in me by the Spirit. Then it asks the question, how come Israel didn't get this gift righteousness? So at the end of 9 and into 10, it goes back to justification. So chapters 1 to 5, the end of 9 and chapter 10 deal with this topic of righteous by faith. And please note, the big numbers, faith, 52 times, justification, righteousness, 42 times. These key words are linked in the same sentence, 13 times, never so linked in sanctification passages. You only find the word live once here. Now remember the key sentence, of the book of Romans is, those who are just by faith shall live. The old version said, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. The better translation is, he who is righteous by faith shall live. But live only occurs once in these chapters on justification because their theme is what Christ lived, what Christ did, not how I'm doing, not my living. I just come as a beggar. So it's not much about living in the chapters on justification. Holy Spirit only mentioned once. Holiness only mentioned once. Now look at the contrast. We're now looking at the chapters that deal with sanctification. 6, 7 and 8 and 12 to 16. They're all about how to do. How to live. How to behave. Not that I really want to know, but not my old nature, but my new nature wants to know. Right? Faith now is only 14 times. The other one, you know, is over 50. Righteousness, only 8 times. Live 14. See? These are the chapters on sanctification. There's a lot about effort. Holiness, three. Holy Spirit, 25. How much was he mentioned in the previous chapters on justification? Once. Once. So sanctification is the work of the third member of the Godhead in me. Justification is the work of the second member of the Godhead for me. The work that was for me is finished. Glorious, finished work that's in me is unfinished. So those figures, if you understand what they're saying, can make your life full of melody. as though you had Margie at your right-hand side singing to you all the time. Betty, singing to us. If you understand this, you can have joy when you are down in the depths, when you've messed it up again, when you've spoken unadvisedly with your lips, when you've done something stupid. Remember Roy's great story, This morning, if you miss Sabbath school, you miss something wonderful. That applies to the future as well as the past. But this morning he told that beautiful story of this great, beautiful steed, but it went through a glass door, made a mess in the house, but it wasn't shot. You and I are often like that, steed. We make lots of messes. We make lots of messes. Every one of us has spiritual problems Spiritual weaknesses as manifold and as manifest as a little child's physical problems. Please understand that. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian 50 years, you still have as many spiritual problems as there are bees in a hive. As there are ants in an ant nest. See? But this says God is shouting, I love you just the same. I accept you just the same. I don't see in you these problems. You're telling me the truth, really. God doesn't see in us the vileness of the sinner. He only sees in us the likeness of his son. My friends, let me give you an example that I have been criticised for using but I commit it to your judgement. One of the greatest men in the Bible committed some of the greatest sins. Don't follow his example. David was a murderer and an adulterer in the other order. But I find him praying in Psalms, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He doesn't say, restore to me salvation. Why not? Because David was being held under chastisement and if he had not repented, he would have been lost. But he had not been cast off even after murder and adultery. Now, I tell you, to be honest, I have been severely criticised for this illustration. My friends, the Standish brothers do it at every opportunity. They don't miss a good thing when they're onto it. But I commend it to your judgement that the scripture never, ever says that this great believer was cast off by his follies. But what he did lose while he was under the chastisement of God, and you see, friends, you don't get away with sin. It's eternal consequences Christ has taken, not so the temporal consequences. Please remember that. The eternal consequences Christ has taken, but not the temporal consequences. So David's under chastisement. David's under judgment. He loses four sons, one after another. There's rebellion in the kingdom. Oh, it's a miserable life for David. It wasn't worth it, a a few seconds of sexual pleasure. What madness. What absolute madness. He's now in terrible, terrible burden. Night after night he can't sleep. He feels out of things all day. He's messed up his family. He's messed up the kingdom. But God has not cast him off. And so David sweltering under the heat of his guilt, says, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Not restore thy salvation. He had not been cast off. And so, my friends, you and I, most of the sins of the Christian are unpremeditated slips and failures and shortcomings. That's typical of all of us all day long from the first breath of love. But none of us are without some outrageous mistakes that we regret in later times. Why? Because we are fallen, unholy, broken, tarnished creatures. And that's still true after conversion. And the devil will try and tempt you to look at yourself and look at your record. He says, I know all about your past. Well, you have to say, hey, that's nothing. I know all about your future you answer the accuser of the brethren with the blood of Christ. Remember, it says they overcame him, the accuser. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So when the devil says, you did this, you did that, you did the other, I say, that's true, and you've forgotten some. But they're all dealt with. They're all dealt with. They've all been paid for. And the scripture says there's no condemnation. For we are accepted in the Beloved. We are complete in Him. We are already in the reckoning of God, seated in the heavenly places. So you see, this statistical resume is meant to focus your faith, your hope, your joy on what Christ has done for you. And while just as certainly he works in you, you never put your trust in how that's going because you've got a share in that. If only he had a share in it, it would be fine. But he's got to work through me, which tarnishes it immediately. So here's the great joy of the Christian he can sing with Luther yes I'm always a sinner but not a willful one I'm always a penitent yes but I'm always right with God I am always right with God you're probably not going to murder people like David so you don't have any reason for discouragement always right with God the Christian is a sinner and a saint at the same time but not a willful sinner Almost always the Christian sins are, boom, I slipped. Overwhelming temptation, I erred. Tired out, I spoke unadvised with my lips. Short fuse, I exploded. All of us have got these. And they can be very dangerous because if you fall into a rage, inhibitions disappear. And when inhibitions disappear, you are capable of doing any evil thing. I told you my experience recently, waiting in a long line thinking of all the planes I was missing with my wife expecting me to turn up home and then waiting for about five or six hours, getting three uh, standbys and missing the lot. And I found out a few things about myself that uh, was new to, me. new to me. Okay, there's the message and you must understand it. Please let's look at a few more things before we stop. Verse 6, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? You don't have to climb. Verse 7, or who will descend into the deep? You don't have to dive. What says it? Verse 8, the words near thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart. The word of faith. So, it was an idiom among the Jews. When they talked about something difficult, they'd say that's like climbing up to heaven. Well, that's like diving down to hell. So whenever they talk about something difficult, that's the proverb they use. That's why it says in John 3 that no one's ascended up into heaven. We know that Enoch and Elijah have. But it's using this idiom. Hey, it's not a matter of someone having to climb up to heaven to find you the message of salvation. Here it is on a plate. It's yours. It's yours. So Paul says, don't think you've got to do some big thing. All you've got to do is take it. Receive it. Believe it. The word of faith. Then he says, if you do that, verse 9, you'll confess with thy mouth as a result of believing in your heart and thou shalt be saved. Notice please in verse 12. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a quotation from the last verse of Joel, chapter 2. And here Paul is saying, do you know that this Christ is the Jehovah of the Old Testament? So in the Old Testament, 6,000 times, God is called Yahweh, Jehovah. The Greek word for that is Lord. And when it says here, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, and it's talking about Christ, shall be saved, it's saying, do you know that your Saviour is God? He can do mighty things because he is God. It's also an allusion to Jeremiah 23.6 where it says, and this is the name wherewith he shall be called, what? The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. So, there's no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Think of that statement, there's no difference occurs three times, twice in Romans, once in Acts 15. It occurs in Romans 3 when it says there's no difference for all of sin and the same Lord over all will receive all that come unto him. Then it occurs here, no difference between Jew and Greek, same Lord is rich unto all that call. Notice you don't even have to work up a lot of faith. Can you call? No one is unable to call. Everyone's without excuse. All you've got to do is call. The penitent thief called. He didn't have a good record to present to the master. He didn't say, look, wait a moment, I've got my uh, uh, grade card here. Let me show it to you. He had no record that was any good. He just called. Lord, remember me. Right? So salvation's as easy as that. As easy as that. Calling. Calling. And there's no difference. Whatever your past, whatever your inheritance... None of us have a perfect genetic inheritance. Every one of us had about a million ancestors. If you take in all the relatives that contribute to our genetic store, I'm not talking just about the immediate mothers and fathers, but all their relatives too. We all have about a million. Every one of us is like an automobile no a bus going down the road with a million passengers in, and every now and again one sticks their face out the window and pokes out their tongue. That's how we all are. We're that bus. We have all those ancestors. And they pop out at the wrong time in the most embarrassing ways for all of us. And people standing by say, huh, just like his uncle. His aunt would do that. See? That's what happens all the time. But the same Lord overall is rich unto all them that call upon him. You've heard the story about a ship in the north of South America and it's got the stress signals up on the mast And another ship comes by and says, what's your problem? We've run out of water. The ship's crew are dying of thirst. And they get back a message. Dip your buckets over the side. You are in the mouth of a mighty river and the water is drinkable. Now, my friends, there are millions of people in this world dying of spiritual thirst unnecessarily. All they need to do is dip down, dip down. How does a plant live and grow? A plant can't run. A plant bears its bosom to the sun and the moon and the falling dew and the, all the elements of heavens. It draws up from underneath it all the things God has put there. What the plant does to grow is to receive. You want to grow? Receive. Let's pray. Thank you Lord for the simplicity of the way of salvation. Human words can't send it home to our hearts. Only your spirit can do that. Help us to see that salvation is all in Jesus and if we have him, we have it. Help us to see that eternal life's in Jesus, that righteousness is in Jesus, that strength is in Jesus and all those things we long for, purity and patience, that they're all in Jesus. So may we look under him, the author and finisher of our faith unceasingly, rejoicingly, and prayerfully. Amen.